0: Very good. What a great day to be with you in the house of the Lord, and I hope that your thoughts and heart has been lifted up to the Lord. It's been a good day in worship already, and uh, the right word, love. Before I get into the message this morning, a couple things I want you to know. The staff and I have been working very hard the last two weeks, amen. and uh, amen is right. Uh, we are doing a strategic plan, putting together and putting on paper uh, a strategic plan for 2008. And we're, most, many of you know Dr. Bill Hoyt. We're working with him as our consultant. And we completed that uh, last night. In fact, I got out of here about 5 o'clock last night. And I just commend the staff, and I hope you will commend them as well. Uh, several of our board members were a part of this uh, also. And we've been meeting Friday night and Saturdays in January and uh, working very hard. And I think it's very significant work. And is going to be a blessing to us. But it's new for most of us. And so there's a little tension, you know, a little stress, a little like, what does all this mean? And we're going to figure it out, but uh, we're going in the right direction. And so I just commend our staff and the excellent work that uh, they've done this past weekend. <clears throat> in your worship folder, there is uh, an outline. And uh, I'll encourage you to turn to that if you'd, if you'd like to. It's something like this, and it'll help you uh, kind of know where I'm going. Let me read you a story. Little Annie was hopelessly insane. As a young girl, she was kept in a cage on the lowest level in a basement in a a Boston asylum. The doctors saw no hope for her, so she was confined to a damp, dark cage in the basement. Here she lived in a world with little light and even less hope. Little Annie was like an unpredictable animal. At times, she would violently attack anyone who came near her. At other moments, she existed in a fugue fugue world and was seemingly unaware of anyone's presence. Into the dark dungeon of little Annie's world came an elderly nurse. The nurse had a special compassion for this hopeless cause, and so she began each afternoon to take her lunch hour and eat her lunch outside the cage of little Annie. The child gave no indication she ever noticed the woman. One day, the nurse left some brownies just outside the cage so that little Annie could reach them, but the girl didn't seem to care. The nurse left them for the girl girl anyhow, and on her return, she realized the brownies were gone. So this became a regular appointment between the two women, women. The nurse would bring brownies for little Annie. They began to eat lunch together, and the hopelessness... Left as she began to actually talk to the nurse. The doctors, too, began to notice the change in the young girl, and soon she was moved to the main floor out of her cage. She began to show great improvement. And after several years of treatment, it was felt that she was well enough to return to her own home. However, this hopeless cause decided not to go home but to stay in the asylum and to help others who had been as she was without hope. And so she stayed. It was little Annie who grew up to give help to Helen Keller and to countless others like her. Little Annie is known as the miracle worker, Ann Sullivan. Now, I share that story with you at the outset today because it's a story about connection. An elderly woman sitting outside a cage where a young girl is locked up, seemingly insane, but somehow... Over the days and weeks that the nurse sat there, there was a connection, and that connection changed Ann Sullivan's life, and her life, in turn, changed other people's lives, like Helen Keller's. Now, our theme for this year, 2008, is what? Connect 360. Connect 360, thank you, and we've talked about... And I've got a little arrow in there, and I know you already know this, but we've talked about a vertical connection. What does that mean for us? What's that supposed to remind us of? I can re-preach that sermon today if you'd like. I want some from the back row. They're just about to fade out. I can't even see back there so far. What's that connection with? God. Okay, we understand that. And uh, when you think of Connect 360, I hope it helps you connect with God and remind you of your connection with the Lord. Now, last week, we talked about a different connection, a horizontal connection, and we talked about connecting with church. And we talked about our relationship uh, in the body of Christ. Now, our theme this year, Connect 360, has some biblical support. We're looking at the greatest commandment. And that is, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we begin this year, I'm emphasizing this love of God, our vertical connection, and the love of our neighbor. Now, if you're doing a pretty good job of loving God, and I think worship this morning was about loving God, right? Right? That's a great way to start. That great old hymn just lifts you right to the Lord and helps us express what we believe. So we loved God this morning, and we're loving God. And uh, I think you did a good job of shaking hands with each other and greeting one another and saying, how are you doing this morning? And so we're loving one another as Christians. That's enough, right? That's that's it, right? We've lived out those verses. If we're doing that, huh? Probably not. It's a little bit too short. Uh, because there's something else. And this morning, I want to talk about that something else. It's really not enough to love God and to love your church. There's more to it. We are also to love our community. And this morning, I want to talk about loving our community. Now, the realization is that some of us, I'm afraid, live in a ghetto. Let me explain. You know where the word ghetto came from. If you've ever traveled in Europe and seen the European cities, we were at a ghetto in Prague, for example. There's a walled ghetto. When you're in the city of Prague, there's an area, a section of the city that's walled off, and the Jews live there. And ghettos originally apply, applied to the place where Jews were forced to live in a city in Europe, and sometimes they were even walled off, and that was a ghetto. Now, we've come to use it in other ways, but, you know, I think there are Christian ghettos. And I think some of us as Christians, if we're not careful, we begin to live in these Christian ghettos. It's easy for me to do, for example. I'm a pastor. I can exhaust myself just doing pastoral stuff, and I never have to worry with folks out there. Kind of nice, huh? I can just pray and be in relationship with God, and I can serve you and visit the sick and counsel and prepare sermons and lessons, and uh, the staff and I can do our stuff together, and, and, and what am I in, essentially? I'm in a Christian ghetto. And this morning, as we talk together about what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourself, I want to talk about our community. And I simply, by community, I mean outside the church. You can define it any other way you want. But I mean just outside these walls, outside our Christian community. What's it like out there? And I really want to do two things. Um, I've put up a question in this outline. Let me look at it. What? What? Here's the question. It's impossible to fully answer, but the question is, what determines how you respond to or connect with other people? Now, of course, a lot of things determine how you respond to people, don't they? And a lot of things determine how you connect with people. This morning, what I want to do, I want to do two things. One is, I'm going to go through some Scripture in just a minute with you, because don't you agree with me that as we come to faith in Jesus Christ and become followers of Jesus, should not Jesus impact how we connect to other people and how we respond to other people? I mean, a dramatic example, if you grew up rough and somebody lipped off to you and you're used to just knocking them down with your fist and you come to Christ, Christ wants to change that first response, right? You really shouldn't slug somebody when you get mad at them. And you and I understand that. So hopefully, as we become Christ followers, our behavior changes in how we respond to our community. And it changes because the Word of God teaches us new ways to respond. So I'm going to go over some scriptures in Matthew in just a moment with you about that. Secondly, I'm hoping that as you think about your connections that you will walk out of here saying, how do I connect to the community? Or do I? Or another way to put it, am I living in a Christian ghetto? And if so, what am I going to do about that? Now, some of you may think this is very strange because you're out in the world all the time and this may be the only time you're around Christians. And you think, well, is there anybody that's really not around Christians a lot? Yes, there are lots of us. Because for myself as a pastor and us in staff, I live in this Baptist world. It's a wonderful world. That's where I'm at. If I'm not intentional, I don't interact with non-Christians. Some of us are students at Fuller or APU or other schools where it's all Christians. And it's very easy for us to do our school stuff and do our church stuff. And we may not really act or interact with other people that are not Christians or far from God. So that's what I mean. So let's begin today by talking about some things that Jesus said that shape the way we respond to and connect with other people. Now, listen to this verse. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. It's in your outline here. Um, listen to this verse. And I, I looked up in the in the uh, book of Matthew. The word neighbor is only used three times. Once in Matthew 22 where he says, love your neighbor. And then it's used another time of love your neighbor. And it's used this time. And the, we're thinking about, well, how am I supposed to respond to folks in the community? Here's, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you... Love your what? You know what he says. Your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he, your Father in heaven, makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Now, that's a pretty big statement. And so Jesus' instruction is we are to love, first of all, love your, your neighbor. We understand that. But he doesn't stop there, does he? we're also supposed to love who? Our enemy. Now, you heard throughout this, our time singing together, you heard the word love, and that's the key here. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. And so when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and is just driving like an idiot, it doesn't really bother you, does it? Because you're a Christian and you have lots of patience and the fruit of the Spirit, and and you love them, right? Even if they make rude gestures to you, you just love them. And if you're in a long line at the store and somebody cuts in front of you, and maybe to make it even worse, they're of a different ethnicity than you are or a different color than you are, and you just, it doesn't bother you. You say, well, go ahead. I'm just going to wait in line anyhow, right? Because you love them, right? Now, when I said, how do you respond to people and how do you connect with them, we all know how we respond to folks, don't we? I mean, it depends on the situation, depends on if we like them. There are lots of things on which it depends, But if the teaching of Jesus is going to shape us, there's one little word that ought to be planted in our head when we think about connections, and that word is what? It's love. And Jesus said, love your neighbor, but he didn't leave it there. He stretches us by saying, you've got to love your enemy. In other words, would it be wrong to say you just have to love people? That's a value that comes out of Jesus' teaching, and there is no exception to that value. We love as God loved us. So that's one thing that comes up from Matthew. Now, as the early church began to struggle with this teaching of Jesus, and there were lots of mean people in Rome, as the early church began to struggle with this, Paul was writing to the Romans. And how did Paul flesh out this statement, love your neighbor? How did it work for Paul? Well, I've given you a couple of verses. One is in Romans 15. And I want to read this from the Message Translation. Uh, in fact, why don't we read it together? I'll, I think we've got a, a slide of it. So let's read this, and it's a paraphrase, and it's just beautifully put. Can we put up, uh, yeah, Paul, whoops, so thank you. Let's fill in the blank. Paul writes, do what is best for your neighbor. That's the fill in the blank, thanks. So do what is, your, is best for your neighbor. Now, why do we say that? Here's the scripture from Romans chapter um, 15. Would you read this with me? Each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled is the way Scripture puts it. Now, that's a great verse, and it's been lengthened by Eugene Peterson in the paraphrase. Let's read it in another translation, because he's actually talking about the word neighbor. Let's read the next one. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. And then in Romans 13, it says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, again, Scripture that helps us to be shaped. How do you respond to other people? And as Paul puts it, um, one way to respond is to say, How can I help in this situation? Uh, I don't know whether to tell this story or not. It's not in my notes, but um, it just so powerfully impacted me. Uh, Years ago, we had co-signed a note for a car. I won't tell you whose car it was. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But uh, it was with the Christian Community Credit Union, at that time American Baptist Credit Union. And unbeknownst to us, the person who owned the car stopped making payments. It got repossessed. Well, I was furious. Now, it's the only time in my life I've been furious, but... uh, It just upset me because I didn't know the car was going to be repossessed. It's my name, Joyce, and it's our name on the car, you know, and so forth. And so I called the credit union, highly upset. You know, how come you didn't tell me the payments were behind? I would have made the payments myself. And, you know, I was just, I had my speech all worked out, and I was flat angry. And so uh, Linda Tashira listened to me. And uh, when I finally wound down, she said, Steve, I said, yes. And I'd never met the woman, so I didn't know her. She said, what can I do to help you? Long silence. Huh? She repeated, what what would make this all right? What can I do to help you? And I said, wow. I said, I just, I want the car back and we'll make the payments. I said, I don't want, you know, this to go forward like this. She said, okay. And uh, she arranged for the car to be brought back. The thing was, the car had quit. The motor was bad. It was just, it was a a bad story. But anyhow, and I've told Linda, I've since met Linda and talked to her. She's a great lady. But I said, you know, you really helped me because you de-escalated a situation by just a soft voice and saying, how can I help? What would help? Now, I think that's the spirit of Christ. That's what I'm trying to talk about. I think that's what Paul was writing about when he said, how do we do what is best for our neighbor? Now, isn't that what Jesus taught in the Golden Rule? Do you all know the Golden Rule? That's really the next fill-in-the-blank if you want to go there. Um, The Golden Rule is found in Matthew chapter 7. And it says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. That's not some parable that's out of somewhere else. That's right out of the Gospel of Matthew that we're reading between now and Easter. That's the teaching of Jesus. And so as you and I think about connecting 360, connecting with our community, we need to ask the question, how do I respond to other people? How am I connecting? And there are, there are lots of times, if you get serious about this, when you're going to, of the fleshly nature of your old self, you're going to want to respond one way. And you're going to say, ah, that's probably not the best way for me to respond. Because I'm going to respond out of this ethic of love with Jesus. I'm going to ask the question, what is best for my neighbor? What really should happen here in a good sense? And that controls our response, or that shapes our response. So um, the golden rule also helps us in this. Now, I've written the question down. What do you think? Does the teaching of Jesus and Paul shape how you will respond and connect with people? How much influence does Jesus have in your response to people or Paul? How much does this love statement and doing what's best for others actually help you as you respond? Now, one more scripture I want to look at. Um, there is going to be a final exam. You knew that, right? Mm-hmm. Always is. Payday someday. Payday someday. And uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, actually talks about that in the last day. He said, when when time ends and you stand before me, I'm paraphrasing here. You can read it in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, at the last day, at the judgment, the the sheep and the goats are going to be separated. And Jesus talked to us about how that's going to happen. And uh, the final exam question, my words, is going to be something like this. How did you treat the least, the lost, and the left out? How did you treat them? That's going to be on the test. And if I could put it in my own words, it's going to go something like this. Cindy's going to be up there, and she's going to come before Jesus, and, you know, eyes will be big. Wow, it really is Jesus. And uh, Jesus is going to say, Cindy, thank you so much. You say, well, you're welcome. Thanks for what? And Jesus is going to say, you know, Cindy, uh, one time you took some groceries over to Betsy's house, and... Uh, you gave them to her. Her husband had just left, left her with all those kids. She had no money. And you went to bonds and bought all those groceries, so many groceries. I and mean, you took them there, and that uh, was such a great time. Thank you for doing that to me. And Cindy is going to say, what do you, what do you mean doing that to you? I didn't, the first time I met you, Jesus, what do you mean? He's going to say, because you did it to Betsy, you did it to me. Thank you. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. Go on in. And then some guy's going to walk up there and, and uh, Jesus is going to say, how are you doing? He's going to say, I'm fine. And he said, you know, uh, thank you so much because I was so cold in Pasadena one January night. And you bought me a blanket and some dry clothes and bought me a meal. And uh, I really appreciate it. The guy's going to stand there and say, Jesus, this is the first time i ever met you. I've never seen you before. And Jesus is going to say, no, you remember that night in Pasadena and you helped me out. And the guy's going to say, you know, I'm a little confused. And Jesus say, go on into to heaven. And somebody else will come bopping up there and say, oh, Jesus, how are you doing? I'm on my way to heaven. Thanks so much. Whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, wait a minute. Come here. He said, you know, I was hungry. I didn't get any food. I was thirsty. I didn't get anything to drink. I uh, was without clothes. I didn't get any clothes. And, and you could have helped me, but you didn't. And you're going to go out into utter darkness. Goodbye. Now, these people in the story are real people. And they say to Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry or naked or thirsty? And Jesus says, you can read it in Matthew twenty five, forty, In that you've done it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. You read that scripture for yourself. What does that mean as we seek to connect with our community, as we seek to connect 360. And so, I hope you find these uh, points of Scripture helpful as we think about our connection to our community. Now, I want to um, wrap this up with a couple of stories. Uh, One time, the story is told of Gandhi. He was Hindu, of course. And another Hindu man came to Gandhi, and he was quite upset because a Muslim had murdered his son. This is way back before the days of terrorism, too. A Muslim had murdered his son, and he said to Gandhi, I can't find any peace. I'm so distraught over the death of my son and this murder. He said, How can, how can you, how can I find peace? Can you help me? And Gandhi said to the man, Yes, I can help you. You need to go adopt a Muslim young boy and raise him as a Muslim. And you'll find peace. Now, as you think about that, that'd be a stretch, wouldn't it? That'd be a stretch. But Gandhi was actually picking up on some of the ethic of Jesus, of love your enemy, of reaching out to them. And Scripture talks about that. This morning, as we conclude, I've put on the uh, worship folder, uh, how are you going to connect with the community in 2008? And I want you to consider some casual connections. When we talk about casual connections, what are we talking about? What, What does that strike in your mind? What does that bring up, a casual connection? Accidental Somebody in the supermarket, that's the idea. Now, I was listening to uh, Channel 4 News a while back, a few weeks ago, a little over a week ago, and Brian Williams, the news anchor, said something about Blue Monday. I'd never heard of Blue Monday. Do you know about Blue Monday? Yeah, supposedly somebody's figured out that the third Monday of January is the most depressing day of the year. Part of that has to do with there's not a whole lot of light in winter wintertime, so some of it is our light stuff. But um, apparently suicides are up and depression is up and there are all kinds of things. Christmas is actually not the most depressing time. It's uh, actually suicides are down at Christmas time, so don't go down that road. But this guy's figured out, you know, it's, this is a bad time. So Brian Williams is talking about Blue Monday, and he was warning everybody. He said, when you're out on the streets, he said, let's help each other out. And he closed the broadcast by saying, look at somebody and smile. Look at somebody and say hello. Just notice somebody, would you? And uh, it's a small matter, but in our casual context, how are you relating to people? We all know people that, uh, you know, they come into work and it's like, you know, they come along and you say something to them, they never speak back to you. It's no wonder they're depressed. They're looking down at their shoe tops. They don't talk to anybody. They don't smile. You'll feel better if you just smile. Nothing spiritual about that. Just do it. It's funny how Brian Williams was talking about that. I thought that was kind of cool. A little bit of help. Now, what about our uh, formal connections? What kind of connections would those be? Yeah. Chamber of Commerce, family, business things, school relationships, you know, what what you do at work. As you think about Connect 360 and you think about Jesus telling us how we should respond to and connect with other people, um, how, how do people at work or at school perceive you? How are your connections? Do they reflect the values we've talked about? I think for myself, this is a huge issue as I think about how others perceive me and are, am I really living out the value of Jesus? What do I want that to look like? And so as you go forth today, I, I want to encourage you uh, in this matter that you uh, think about those formal connections. And this last one is uh, something where I think we really need to push on some of you. Intentional connections. What do I mean by intentional connections? Well, let me use myself as an example. Again, it's easy for me to live in a Christian ghetto. I can structure my life quite easily so I'm only around followers of Jesus. Now, sometimes that's good. Not always. But if I'm not careful, I really will have no non-Christian contacts. Well, how can I win people to faith in Christ? How can people connect with God through me if I don't know anybody that's far from God? And so by intentional connections, I mean that all of us should be praying and thinking and say, God, how can you use me in the world this week? And if you really don't have those non-Christian connections, I hope today, as you think about Connect360 with your community, you begin to think about, well, how can I create some connections that are going to put me in places where there are people far from God? I do that primarily in three ways. Uh, One way has been through bicycling. I do a lot of cycling, and I found a group here in Pasadena I can cycle with, and uh, we meet at 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning, and when it's not raining, they're wimps. I show up in the rain and they're not there. Uh, Anyhow... A great group of guys, and so there's a connection for me outside the church. Another way is when I came here, I was able to get on the board of the Pasadena, Pasadena Senior Center, and that's been a great connection report, uh, point for me, and there have been times when I have been able to be a peaceful presence in a difficult situation. Very interesting group of people, great people, and so there I can be with people, some who don't know God. That's another way. Um, Hanging out at the coffee shop, I've built relationships with some of the business people in this community. That's another way. Uh, You can figure it out, but how are you going to connect with people who are far from God? And I want to challenge you in that as we go forth this Connect 360, it's not just about how we respond to others. It's about how do I build relationships with people that, if God be pleased by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can influence them to come to Christ or be a a part of that process. And so this morning, I want to encourage you uh, to think about Connect360 and to think about uh, our community connections. Now, as I wrap up, this story is kind of helpful to me, and I want to end with this story. The story is helpful to me because uh, I know how I respond, you know, uh, at first blush. And that's not always the way I really want to respond. There's, there's a better way to respond sometimes. And this story kind of highlights the contrast of responses. It's a story that a mom told about being in a toy store with her six-year-old son. And she's there in this huge toy store, and they're shopping, and they're going up and down the aisles. And she said, we came around a, uh, an aisle, the corner of an aisle, and looked down about halfway down the aisle there was a young man in a wheelchair with no legs. And when I looked up and saw his face, it was he was just very disfigured. He'd been burned or something, and it was a badly disfigured face. About the same time, her little six-year-old, who was in front of her, said, Look, Mom! And he points, you know, in a loud voice, look, Mom, and he points at the man in the wheelchair down the aisle. And she's just about to grab him and say, you know, we don't point and yell about people. But he took off. And he ran down the aisle and stopped right in front of this guy in the wheelchair, who was also surprised, kind of like, you know, What's coming? And the man looked at the little boy. The little boy looked at the man, and he said, Man, that's a cool earring. And the mom realized, when I looked at this man, I just saw a scarred face. When my six-year-old looked at him, he saw a beautiful earring. What a difference. What a difference. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is traveling, and there are um, two blind men. And Jesus doesn't pay any attention to him. He's going to go on by. But they start screaming so loudly, they disrupt the whole group of people there. And they're screaming at Jesus, have mercy on us. They're asking for help. And Jesus asks a very interesting question. And I was thinking about this question this week. Jesus turns to the blind man who have made such a scene, they get noticed. And, and by the way, oftentimes people who are on the margins of life, if they don't make a noise, nobody will notice them. So think about that. But anyhow, Jesus notices them. And he says to them, what would you like me to do for you? That's a great question. And this morning, what would you like Jesus to do for you? Well, the blind men, of course, said, we would like our eyes opened. And so Jesus opened the eyes of the blind men. And I was thinking about that this week. Jesus, would you open my eyes? Would you help me to see what you want me to see? Help me to respond like you want me to respond. Help me to be who you want me to be in each situation. That's a big challenge, isn't it? But that's my prayer. And so this morning, I'd like to conclude with this prayer. It's a prayer about connection. It's a prayer about how do we love our community? How do we live out this commandment of Jesus to love our neighbor? Would you uh, read this prayer with me? O Lord, give us more charity, more self-denial, more likeness to Thee. Teach us to sacrifice our comforts to others and our likings for the sake of doing good. Make us kindly in thought, gentle in word, generous in deed. Teach us that it's better to give than to receive, better to forget ourselves than to put ourselves forward, better to minister than to be ministered unto. And unto thee, the God of love, be glory and praise forever. Amen.